0: This is the Financial Freedom Series, designed to show you how to cash flow your way to financial freedom. Brought to you by Lagos Financial. The road to financial freedom starts today. We are back with the financial freedom series my name is andrew bean and i'm here with top mortgage broker and financial expert victor Lagos from Lagos financial how are you mate
1: Good, andrew long time no speak man
0: i know man i, missed, I missed, you. missed you i missed you what's going on
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we'll be busy doing deals you know working yeah, We're not that's just it, podcasters man. are we
0: it's, that's the thing is you do the podcast and you get heaps of work and then you got to do more podcasts and you got to do the work and it's just yeah it's uh, hard yeah. to balance it all isn't it it's a very tough life
1: yeah it's a lot to do yeah you've got <laughs> a lot going on too I've
0: okay? heard. yeah definitely got a lot going on just took over a self-storied facility so uh yeah really excited about that got to start making some content about that now but yeah a lot more coming out very very soon so We are here today because in this episode, we're going to be talking about loan shopping and the different types of loans available for investors. And I think it's super important because the way that you finance it can kill you or really make you like a lot of cash flow. Do you agree?
1: Most definitely. The terms of the commercial loan, the structure, the lender, all the fees, all of that has a massive impact. So it's important to uh, to understand it all.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you hear of these like big investors going belly up and people say, oh, the asset failed, but it's not really the asset that's failed. It's the leverage, the way that you structured the debt on the asset. And that's what killed you. It's not because the asset was actually bad. If it was set up in a better financial way, the asset would have been flourishing. But really, it's like the debt can kill you or it can make you. So make or break you. Agreed. All right, mate. So, just so we get a good start, can you provide an overview of why uh, loan shopping is so crucial for commercial property investors?
1: Yeah, look, I guess it's similar to residential. You want to understand what lender's going to lend you the money on the best terms based on their policies and based on their appetite for commercial lending. The difference with commercial, though, is there's less players in the market, especially for investors. There's less banks and less lenders out there that will want a standalone commercial investment property because in their eyes, it's higher risk and to an extent it is. So by shopping around, by talking to a commercial broker like myself that keeps on top of all the different banks and lender policies, that's pretty much how you'll know, one, can you actually get the deal done? And two, what are the numbers actually going to look like because you're assessing each deal and its merits, but it's a game of finance. So without knowing what the finance looks like up front, you might end up committing to buy a property that's actually going to cost you money in the short term and possibly even the long term. So
0: Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, if you're buying a commercial property and you're expecting it to cash flow, and then you you get all the finance all sorted and you buy that property and settle the deal, and then you realize, oh, hang on, this is a negative geared property. I didn't sign up for this. You're going to be in a bit of strife, aren't you?
1: Well, I've spoken to people before that have reached out. That's exactly what happened to them. They left it last minute. They thought that their mortgage broker knew what they were doing when it came to commercial lending. Turns out they didn't. And last minute, they had to get a non-bank loan. And that meant that they were paying exorbitant fees and interest rates, because if they didn't, they were going to lose their deposit and potentially be pursued by the vendor, because You know, if you commit to buy a property and you sign a contract and you go on conditional and then you pull out, well, it's not just a deposit. If they lose money and not able to sell at that same price, well, they can technically go after you. So they decided to take the loan and they wanted to know what their options were to refinance. And unfortunately, they had no options. They were stuck because it was going to cost them three months of interest to get out of the loan and obviously the valuation and things like that. So yeah, it's it's very important to know this stuff up front, especially because pre-approvals are not very common. In the commercial space, either, so mm. you want to make sure you line up these ducks as much as possible with your broker before you sign that dotted line.
0: But typically, like is it the broker's responsibility to tell you if you're cash flowing or not? Isn't it really the broker's responsibility just to get the finance over the line for you, usually like a buyer's agent or your like or you as the investor. You know what you want. Unless you tell the broker, like, I want this to cash flow at this percent, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is what I'm expecting. Is it typical in the industry for a mortgage broker to flag that? I know like with some accountants, like, there are good ones and bad ones that flag different things. So if you don't explain to the mortgage broker what you want, will they actually say, hey, this isn't cash flowing, what
1: are you doing? Look, to be honest with you, I can't speak for all brokers. I can only speak for how I do things. Yep. And because I specialize with working with investors and commercial investors, then I want to see what that cash flow looks like for them. And also for me, because I don't want to put them in a position that's going to create financial distress. Like I'm all about financial freedom. That's why we call this financial freedom series and my own podcast. So it's like if I put someone in a position where it's costing them more than it's earning them and they can't afford to hold it and they have to sell it, well... I don't really care that I got paid. I didn't do the right thing for the customer. So for me, I want to make sure that all that stacks up up front. So I've built my own spreadsheet, funding calculation where I plug in the numbers. And the good thing about commercial property is that you know what the net income is after expenses because mm-hmm. usually the ongoing or the outgoings, I should call it, are covered by the tenant. So by knowing the net rent, you can pretty much estimate what your cash flow is going to be. Residential, it's a little bit trickier because it's gross rent and then you have to deduct expenses But you still can tell what they're going to be to an extent. So anyway, so I send these numbers to my clients and potential clients so that they can have a clear picture as to is this going to cash flow up front, especially if they're taking out equity to cover the deposit. So they're borrowing 100% and costs. And if there's a buyer's agent involved, you know, there's another 15, 20 grand that they have got to add on top as well. And if they're borrowing that, highly likely it's not going to be positive cash flow, but at least they know how much it's going to cost them out of pocket each week or each month. And then they're prepared for that. So that's why I do that. But others, technically, it's not the broker's responsibility. It's, they're not analyzing any investment.
0: Yes, they're not the commercial property analysis team. They're the commercial property finance team to get you financed. So yeah, obviously, Correct. a good broker like yourself will let you know. If you say, I want this to cash flow, they'll let you know if it's not cash flowing. But I guess like, if you're doing the finance for residential property, You know, very difficult to get residential properties to cash flow. Like, realistically, if you're taking into account all of the expenses, all of the outgoings that you realistically do have to pay as the owner of a residential property, it'd be very difficult.
1: Exactly. And with commercial property, it's like you know that the rent's going to grow each year. You're building in CPI increases or fixed increases if you're finding ways to add value as well. Or if you know that the tenant's going to move out, you can get new tenants in, increase the rent if it's under rented. So there's things that are going to impact the investment to allow you to have more cash flow. And then of course, the interest rates will eventually come down at some point. But if you've got enough capital, and you can contribute a decent deposit, which is usually required for commercial, and we'll get into that, then it's likely going to be neutrally geared or positive cash flow from the get go and so therefore it becomes self sufficient and you can sort of set and forget and that's what you want that predictable income so yeah
0: definitely if you have ever tried to run numbers in your cash flow calculator you'll know how important it is to have the right inputs stamp duty alone can vary wildly depending on what state you are buying in that's why you need to know the exact figure Lagos Financial have a full suite of calculators ready for you to start crunching your numbers today. Go check out your borrowing power, budgeting, income tax, refinance calculators, repayment calculators, or my personal favorite, the stamp duty calculator, just to name a few. Go to lagosfinancial.com.au. That's L-A-G-O-S Financial.com au to start using these calculators today so mate what are the key factors that differentiate a commercial property loan to a, a residential one?
1: Oh, as i was saying before not all banks are play in this space but the ones that do let's just say we go to the big four so the big four one they've got a commercial banking arm mm-hmm. and it depends on how much you borrow then you're dealing with a business banker so it's not under retail, it's not under residential, it's separate with the bank. Mm-hmm. And they'll analyze each commercial property in its own category. So if it's a specialized property, if it's just a, a standard you know, retail office or, or industrial versus say something specialized like a pub, childcare or something like that, they'll have a different team that looks after that to analyze the risk of the deal. That's one. The second thing is the way it's the LVR is lower. So big banks will typically go up to 60, possibly 70% LVR. They won't go up to 80. Well, maybe one of them will. And they'll also tie the loan term with the lease, even if it's not a lease stock loan. They'll actually want to have a short term on the loan. So a normal residential loan, it's going to be for 30 years usually up front. Whereas a commercial loan from a big bank will usually be two or three years up front. That doesn't mean you need to pay the loan back in that time. Otherwise, the repayments will be unaffordable, right? But what they'll do is they'll do annual reviews and then they'll want an updated lease and then they'll renew the loan or roll it over for another two or three years. It's a way to mitigate their risks to make sure that the property is rented out and that the borrower, being that it's usually a commercial entity like a company or a trust, is up to date with their taxes. They'll want to see that. They'll ask for ATO portals and tax returns to see the larger tax returns and that it's up to date. And then on top of that, they'll also want to revalue the property. So they'll actually, every couple of years, they'll say we need to make sure that our security position Mm. is not too high. So then they'll revalue. And if they value and the property come down and say it goes from 60 to 80%, then they're going to want you to restructure your loan to quickly get it back down to 60%. Mm. So they're going to adjust your repayments So that you amortize it down to 60% ASAP or they're going to basically ask you to leave, ask you to refinance to another bank or worst case sell the property because they don't want to be under that position. So that's how they handle it. And then you've got second tier banks that I try to focus more on because they'll do set and forget loans, similar to residential where they'll give you up to sort of 25 years upfront, no annual reviews. But it all depends on if you're borrowing, you know, less than a million dollars, or more. So, the higher you borrow, the higher the risk, usually the lower the LVR. In a nutshell, that's kind of the things that I navigate with all my clients and investors to try to understand which is the best option for them.
0: And was that 25-year loan for a commercial property or for a residential property?
1: No, for a commercial, oh, I, can, wow. I, I usually go for that. So, I've got a, a bank that I deal with. I won't say which bank that is because usually i have to obviously talk to the customer and make sure that that's the right bank for them before I start disclosing it. And they'll do 25 years from the beginning, and Mm -hmm. they won't do annual reviews, and they won't do valuations along the way. So they'll literally do it straight off the bat, and they'll even do up to five years interest only as well. So that would be the ideal option, but the LVR on that particular product is capped at 75%. Yeah. So it's still decent. Like, it's not 60 like the major banks, but... 75 is obviously less than what a lot of people want. Most people, especially first-time investors, will want 80% and it's harder to get. So I try and avoid 80% for any commercial lending just because serviceability is a massive constraint and then we might end up going to a non-bank. And if we go to a non-bank, then the rates are higher, the fees are higher, but you can get 30 years up front. So keep that in mind with a non-bank; <laughs> it's not going to be positive cash flow, probably.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing about commercial property is that usually it is a shorter type loan. I mean, I would say that it is quite uncommon to have even a twenty-five year loan. I haven't heard of too many investors. I know James Dawson; I remember him talking about a loan that he's had for thirty years or so, or like it's a thirty-year loan or product. But your general investor, twenty-five years, just twenty. Yeah, that'd be nice. Like that's a really, really strong position to be in, and like. I know no. it doesn't happen in Australia, but in America, like you can get like a 30-year loan that's fixed interest rate. So that means the debt starts outstripping the interest rate. So it becomes a, like a really big benefit to you in time. But yeah, it's that 25-year loan in Australia would have to be a variable rate, surely.
1: You can get fixed up to five years, even on a yeah. twenty-five year loan term. Yeah,
0: five years. But you so. can't.
1: Yeah, you can't do thirty-year fixed rates. Don't exist. I was reading something about that. There's a history behind that. When it came up, it was Australian banking didn't take it on. It was, uh, I think it might have been after World War Two potentially, and they kind of missed the boat on that. I think they had a change of government, and then the new government missed out, and that doesn't exist anymore. Like. That type of funding for Australia, so yeah, it's kind of cool, obviously, to have fixed for long term. Then you, it's predictable. Yeah, you know, Australians are are used to variable rates and navigating that anyway. So
0: yeah, fixed long term loans are lower risk than a variable long term loan, obviously, because you know the expenses and they just out start to outweigh the expenses over time. So I just wanted to jump back as well because you mentioned a term that you and I probably take like a grain of salt because we understand what it means, but I was just wondering. If you can explain the concept of an LVR to, say, a first-time investor, what that actually means and, and the significance of it.
1: Sure. So LVR stands for loan-to-value ratio. So it's a percentage of what you borrow versus the value. So when we talk about an 80% LVR, if you're looking at dollars, if the property is worth a million dollars, then an 80% LVR would be a loan of 800000 right? A 60% LVR would be a loan of 600000 etc. That's how the banks analyze the risk on the property itself, on the security, and the lower the LVR, the lower the risk. And the main reason is because if there's a fluctuation in in the price or in the market value, they're protected because say there's a 10% reduction, well, there's still a buffer of, say, if it was a a 60% LVR and it dropped down 10%, well, it's now 70% LVR, so it's still okay, if the bank had to foreclose and sell that property, they're still going to recover their money, essentially. So if they go up to 80%, it's obviously a higher risk because if there's a 20% reduction, then it's, then it's a uh, property that's basically not enough to cover the sale. So uh, negative equity, they call it. That's why for residential lending, you've got mortgage insurance to cover that, to that risk. And something interesting is that LMI protects the bank, but it doesn't actually protect the borrower. Mm. I know I'm just veering off for a moment because I just wanted to cover this off. So say there was an LMI claim. So a bank would sell the property. they recover their money, whatever they could. If there was a shortfall, they could claim it from LMI, mortgage insurance. And then LMI will pay that to them, but then they will go after the borrower for that money, even though the house is gone. And if they can't get the money, they can default you and go through court proceedings to try to recover it. So something to keep in mind for the listeners, that's what LMI can do. It doesn't protect you, it protects the bank, and they'll still come after you if the property is sold at a shortfall. The lower the LVR, obviously there is no LMI, so that can't happen. And in commercial lending, LMI also doesn't exist. But something to keep in mind, though, is that risk fees do exist. They call them application fees or establishment fees. And they also have early exit fees Mm -hmm. as well, because commercial lending falls under unregulated lending. It's not under the consumer credit protection, which is something that came out after the GFC. It's called NCCP. So they can technically charge early repayment costs if you pay the loan out in the first few years. And they can also charge upfront establishment fees. And they can range from half a percent of the loan amount, you know, all the way up to, say, 2%. So, that's something to keep in mind as well. These are the upfront costs. When I send out the numbers to my potential clients, I'll always show them what those fees look like transparently. I'll break it down in in a spreadsheet and show them all those upfront costs and show them how much their contribution is. Because sometimes you don't know about this stuff, it's kind of hidden. You find out about it later. So, I try to make it all upfront so there's no surprises.
0: And so, for the listeners who aren't up to date with all of the real estate acronyms, LMI means Lenders Mortgage Insurance. And it only comes into play when you're at an 80 percent LVR. So usually at a, for a commercial property, it'd be 80, it would be the absolute max. So that, that's where Victor said that it doesn't exist because you can't get debt that high on a, on a commercial property. So when you're going for your normal residential property, that does come into play because you can get 85, 90, even sometimes 95 percent LVR on a property, so you need that LMI lender's mortgage insurance for the bank's protection. So, mate, how does the loan you choose impact the profitability of a commercial property investment? So, I just want to go to that question because we've just spoken about LVRs. So, the LVR really dictates how much debt you have on the property. So, why does that make a big difference?
1: So, the higher the debt, the higher the repayments, the higher the interest costs, and the less of the rent that you get to keep. So, that's how it impacts your investment. The more leverage you have, The more gearing, the less cash flow. And if you have less cash flow, then at some point or another, it's either not feasible to hold on to it or you have to pay it down. So it becomes cash flow positive. Otherwise, it's a liability more than an investment, right? More than an asset, I should say. And then the cost as well, to consider that I mentioned... Depending on the loan, you're going to be paying higher establishment fees, as I talked about. You always have to pay the valuation fee out of pocket, mm-hmm. so that's something to consider. I know it's not necessarily to the, tied in with the loan, but it's something that investors sometimes aren't aware of. That when they buy a commercial property, they have to fork out the upfront cost for that, and that can range from you know a thousand bucks all the way up to sort of five grand, depending on on the price of the property. Banks aren't going to cover that residential, they're happy to because they, you know, they might only charge four hundred dollars or something. But for commercial they won't. And then the loan if it's P and I. So a lot of the time if you pay P and I then and you're wanting a self-sufficient positive cash flow property, well, the cash flow is impacted if you're making principal and interest repayments because they're gonna be higher than just the interest, right? But something to be aware of though, even though it does impact your cash flow, it's not a bad thing as such because The principal part is your equity. So some people don't realize that every time you make a principal payment, you're actually taking equity back from the bank. Yeah. So they've got their equity, which is the leverage. But when you make a principal payment, the debt comes down. So that's your equity. You're taking it back. So you're building equity when you pay back principal. But if you're forced to pay P&I up front, then that could make it a, a difficult venture for you because if you want the rent to cover that and you still got your own home mortgage to pay off, your PPOR, and maybe a couple of other negatively geared residential properties, well, now you've just added on another cash flow constraint to your portfolio on a while you should be really putting all your principal payments, the equity building payments into your PPOR, your home, because that's non-tax deductible debt. That should be the priority. So that's another part of the structuring that you've got to be aware of. You know, we talked about the LVR. So, of course, the higher the LVR, higher the repayments, if you can bring that down and you can have a larger cash contribution, then that's going to put you in a better position from day dot because you, you'll be able to get positive cash flow straight away.
0: Yeah, 100%. And you can use that
1: money to pay the debt down.
0: Yeah, definitely. Just on a side note there, I had a quote for $10,000 for uh, valuation on a self-storage facility this year. So, wow. yeah, they can get pretty pricey mate so yeah. could you just walk us through the various types of loans available for you know your average commercial property investor
1: yeah so as i was talking about earlier the typical types of loans would then be the short term stuff yep so it's, if it's a full doc loan well let's break it down you've got full doc low doc and lease doc yep and full doc is just basically fully verified you're providing tax returns pay slips you know rental income bank statements, everything to show what your income is and can you actually afford the loan itself. Mm-hmm. And then the loan itself, the loan structure, will then be short-term, like a one or two years from a big bank or set and forget. So I still consider that a different type of loan because the short-term stuff is a bit more maintenance required, right? You need to be aware of those things coming up when you're doing annual reviews and staying on top of your taxes and all that sort of stuff and keeping on top of the tenants to make sure they're paying everything on time. Whereas if you get set and forget, you're getting 25 years potentially up front. And you're literally setting it and forgetting it. <laughs> you're still liable to make the repayments, but the bank's not chasing you yeah. to say, hey, what's going on with the lease? Send me an updated copy, etc. And then when you've got a low-doc loan, this is where you are self-employed. So it doesn't work for PAYG, borrowers or guarantors. It only works if you're self-employed. And instead of providing tax returns to verify your income, you either provide BAS, so this is your business activity statement, mm-hmm. when you lodge your GST, you provide that, and then that, they kind of estimate what your profit would be based on the industry that you're in. So they kind of just you know, shave down the revenue, sort of estimate what expenses you'd have, minus the salaries, of course. And then the other one is bank statements. So if you provide business bank statements, they'll do the same sort of thing. They'll look at all your revenue, and they'll work out how much can they use for income, and if none of those work, then you can also get your accountant to write up a declaration. So the lenders that accept LODOC have a specific declaration form that an accountant has to fill out, which basically declares how much your income is. And that's what they use. That's a doc. And then the other one, which is a lease doc, is similar to LODOC in that you don't have to provide tax returns, but serviceability is purely on the lease itself. So it's only on the rent that you generate from that commercial investment property. It's not got to do with your income. So those types of loans were up to about 65% LVR when the interest rates were lower. But now that they're where they are at the moment, we're sort of hovering around that 45 to 50% LVR. So you need a larger deposit. Keep in mind, though, that you could borrow the deposit from your residential property mm. as a full doc loan first. And I do that for some customers. So you take out the equity as cash and then you do a lease doc, and then your deposit comes from essentially borrowed money anyway. And then you can claim the interest across both. So they still do want to know who you are though. It's not like, oh yeah, you're just getting a lease. We don't know who you are. They still want to understand what your financial position is. So you still have to declare your assets and liabilities and whether you're working or not. They don't ask about your income necessarily, because they don't need it. But if you're on the pension, for example, or you're really old, sort of elderly, and don't have any assets to your name, renting or something like that, that's not really going to be the type of uh, deal that they would do. They still want to understand who they're lending to. Mm-hmm. And of course, they'll do their credit checks and ID verifications as well. But it's still a good option for someone who has got access to cash and may not necessarily have the serviceability in their own names to fund another investment property.
0: You know what I just realized? Yes. You do know. No, I don't. <laughs> you tell me. I just realized that we are almost wearing identical shirts. We've really done well here. <laughs>
1: yeah. I just,
0: I've been looking at you for like half an hour and I just realized we're matching. Look at that. Didn't even do it purposely.
1: Let's not tell everyone that we messaged each other first <laughs> yes. and said, uh, what are you wearing it's
0: today? It's not really not true. He's just saying that.
1: It's not true.
0: <laughs> <though>. <laughs> so, mate, what are the primary differences between like a traditional bank loan and like alternative financing, who I've had a little bit of experience with uh, in the last couple of months, like private finance? For listeners that haven't had any experience in those two realms, what are the difference between your standard bank loans and private finance on commercial properties?
1: Okay. First and foremost, banks are probably the highest regulated lender there is. So they've got a lot more rules that they have to operate by and risk that they need to basically cover off before they can lend out commercially. But they are the cheapest. So if you can get bank funding, it's always the main goal for any investor or borrower out there. But there's a lot more red tape and it can take more time to get loans approved from banks. Non-bank lenders, they're the next layer down from banks. So they're non-ADIs, so non-deposit taking institutions. They're not regulated by APRA for residential lending. They're regulated by ASIC. And for commercial lending, same sort of thing. They're not regulated anyway, but they've still got rules because of the way they get their capital. They usually borrow it from banks, to be honest. Non-banks borrow it from banks initially through what's called a warehouse facility and then they pay it back after. So there's still things that they need to cover off. So they're not, but you can get away with more. So longer terms up front, 30 years, higher OVRs, up to 80%. I know one that we even go up to 90% on an SMSF, but they'll charge a risk fee for that, not LMI. And if you're looking at the next layer down then, you've got private money or private equity. And this is basically not even regulated by ASIC or APRA. They can kind of do whatever they want to an extent. And they do. Um, And usually how they operate is (laughs) they will get money from investors like family offices or uh, basically create like a fund and they'll pay them back the investors a return, high interest depending on the risk, and then they will lend that money out for property purchases. The good thing about them is that they'll do it in a very fast timeframe. frame mm. and they can take on sometimes bigger risks and take on properties that a bank may not necessarily like, something that's a bit more specialized, like um, self storage, for example. <laughs> and they can, you know, settle a, a deal within, you know, a few days, potentially. They'll still want to value the property nine times out of ten, but the cost for them is higher because they're taking on the risk. They're a solution lender. So your interest rates are, you know, ten to twelve percent plus you're paying 2 to 4% on the amount you borrow as a fee. But the good thing about them as well is that a lot of the time, you're not having to make repayments on them. Depending on the LVR, again, you can actually capitalize the interest for, say, 12 months. So then you're, you're essentially borrowing the interest from the equity to pay for the cost of borrowing, and then you're not having to make repayments every month. But then you need an exit strategy. So you need to get out of that loan. So they're riskier. But you need to know that you've got a plan and that's usually because you're going to make a profit and then you're going to sell it or you've for whatever reason you'll be able to borrow from a, either a non-bank or a second-tier lender or even a big bank in the future so you can prepare for that say you've got a 12-month or a two-year loan with a private lender then you can start planning ahead and say All right, come three months before I'm going to start applying for finance so I can refinance and get out of that problem and look it's risky if you don't go to one that's reputable. Mm -hmm. As I said, they can kind of do whatever they want. So it can be risky dealing with private lenders that don't have a proven track record. And aren't reputable, but there are some that really are, and some of them that are endorsed by the MFAA, FBAA, CAFBA. These are the uh, the mortgage broking and commercial finance broking associations. So you can find them as well, and also some of them that are part of the uh, large aggregator panels. So always best talk to a broker, see who they're recommending, who they've got experience with, and then do your research on those lenders and see what people are saying about them out there. In whether it's in, you know Facebook groups or Google reviews or product review, whatever it is, just to make sure that you're not putting yourself at risk. Because remember, they analyze the deals based on their feasibility. So if they know that there can be money to be made, they might help you. But they're also thinking, how can we potentially take ownership of this property Mm -hmm. so we can take the profit? So remember, they can. They're taking out a mortgage. They have control over it if you can't make your payments on time. And if you're not making payments because you need to get out of that loan in 12 months, well, they've got a right to take that property. It's something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, 100%. I was helping the vendor of my self-storage facility. I was helping him organize some private finance because he's 75 years old and the Commonwealth Bank knocked back getting him some more finance for one of his particular properties. And I went down to get a, like the private finance route to see what was on offer. And they came back with a 20% interest on the loan. And this is a second position, non-approved second position mortgage on the property. So like, it's just having you over a barrel, like 20%, my God, like seriously. Yeah. Before that, like I know this private financier a little bit. He's bragging to me. He's like, "Oh yeah, dude! Like ever since interest rates have been going up, you can make so much money in private finance. It's so like ridiculous." I'm thinking like, "Yeah, we'll just try and like not make too much money off my self storage vendor if you can help it." But yeah, so we had to go a different route because the establishment, the line fee to establish the loan, and then a twenty percent interest. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was only yeah. like 135,000 the vendor was looking at trying to get. But yeah, it was just like it would have worked out to be close to like 40 something thousand dollars of just interest. That's just interest, no principal. Yeah. So it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that is a lot of money. They're, they're there for a solution. They know yeah. you need the money and then if banks saying no, so you know they charge for it. And like I was saying, if you're dealing with people that are focused on how much money they're making, well how much of your interest do they have at heart? Yeah. They focus on themselves. So, so that's why you always work with someone that genuinely cares. Anytime you make money in any transaction or venture, then it's just going to, in my view, it's just going to be fair, right? There's a value exchange. It's just going to be fair. That's it. If it's skewed where one per person's benefiting a lot and someone else is losing, then it's not. It's The transaction Yeah, not
0: definitely fair. not fair. I just found out something cool as well because – he went to Commonwealth Bank and I'm, I'm helping him because he's, you know, a little bit older and he's just, we need to get this done. So I was kind of lending a hand. So we went to Commonwealth Bank first and they knocked back getting more lending. So bringing up the loan, like topping it up to a certain amount. And then they also knocked back allowing for a second mortgage to be placed, a registered second mortgage to be placed on that particular property. And so we're like, oh, okay, what well, what are we going to do then? But I found out that you can actually still put a second mortgage on any single property. It's just not registered. So it's not a registered position. So it doesn't matter who you are, even if you live in the bank or that has lending on it says no, you still actually can place a second mortgage on that property.
1: Yeah. It's usually an unregistered second yeah. mortgage and a caveat yeah. is what they do. So the caveat can be registered without the first mortgage lender or mortgagee giving consent. So that's protecting them to get their money back. And the unregistered second mortgage is, you can still use that, I guess, in court, right? To say, hey, they signed the mortgage, I'm eligible for X amount of money. So yeah, that's true. There's always a way. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: no secret that getting finance for a commercial property can be a difficult task. If you're looking for a rockstar mortgage broker, to kickstart your financial freedom, well, look no further. My man, Victor Lagos from Lagos Financial has you covered for all of your commercial financing needs. Go to lagosfinancial.com.au. That's L-A-G-O-S financial.com.au for a free consultation to get you on the path to financial freedom today. All right, mate. So what are some of the common loan terms and conditions that investors should pay close attention to?
1: I touched on this earlier about the if you went to a big bank, the loan term would usually be short term, one, two, three years. And the conditions would be to do an annual review. So they want to make sure your taxes are paid on time. They want to Check the most recent rental statements to see that you're collecting the rent on time, same amount that you declared, and that they approved it on. They want to see that you know you've you know lodged your tax returns. Maybe want to revalue the property as well. So that's another cost that you you're going to cover, and you hopefully it hasn't gone down in value in that time. The loan terms for other banks you can get typical commercial loan is usually a 15 year loan term, sometimes 20, but I can go up to 25 with one of my my banks, and Usually interest only is sort of between three years up to five years, not much longer than that. And the repayments as well. So say you got a short-term loan with a big bank, they're going to calculate your repayments over a 20-year term. So they're still going to work out, can you afford a 20-year loan term, but then they're going to renew your loan every couple of years and extend it out for um, another two years, as long as you pay everything on time and the value still stacks up. And the other thing I mentioned was early exit costs. So that's something that if you were to get out of the loan in the first two or three years, you could be up for potentially even up to three months worth of interest to break that loan.
0: And so I just want to clarify as well, you mentioned a couple of times that you can get a 25-year loan, that'd have to be on a specific type of Property, a commercial property, right? It's not just any single property you can get that on. What type of property would be eligible for a twenty-five year loan, in your opinion?
1: It's pretty much a standard commercial property, like a, so, an industrial
0: property um, with a good like lease. A, like it'd have to be something like that. It's you, not just like your you, your corner shop down the road that's a, a retail shop that's vacant all the time. Surely.
1: Okay, couple of conditions on that. It doesn't have to be industrial. It can be, you know, a little retail space or an office but it has to have at least 12 months remaining on the lease at least you can't come in with a a vacant possession property to get that particular product that I'm talking about you can go to a non-bank though so something to keep in mind that if you did really want a property vacant possession you could go to a non-bank pay a higher interest rate higher fees as long as you can show serviceability with your income after your own liabilities and expenses they will let you buy a property vacant possession and then you can go out and get tenants in but then obviously You buy vacant possession, you also got to pay GST as well because it's not sold as a going concern. But banks don't want vacant possession. They won't take it on. They'll want to see that lease in place and they'll want to see at least 12 months remaining on it and options as well. So usually they'll want to see at least another 12 months of options. So that's two years. But this other bank that I mentioned, they're happy with 12 months. So, But if you come in at 12 months, it's too tight. You want to have like 13, 14 months remaining when you apply. But what I usually do for my clients is I actually check with the bank up front. I send them the deal. I say, this is the property. This is the tenant. This is the lease terms. This is the price. This is the rent. Is this property acceptable as security? And they'll check it. They'll do a quick searches and they'll say, yeah, it's fine. Or they'll say, no, we don't like it because we've checked this tenant. I had one recently and they did an ABN search and they said the tenant deregistered their ABN beginning of the year. So we we won't take it. We need a brand new lease with an entity that is registered. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And another one, they picked up that the mezzanine wasn't council approved. So the property itself was great, but it had a mezzanine put in and it wasn't council approved. So they didn't accept that as security. So I always check that for my customers because if they go down the path and they pay a solicitor to do a contract review, to do a lease review, potentially even pay for a valuation. And then they you know start due diligence, find this out. And the bank comes and says, no well, they've just spent a few thousand dollars unnecessarily. So if I can get them an an indicative okay up front, could save them some money and increase the chances that the loan will be approved as well.
0: All right. So we're loan shopping here. This whole episode is about loan shopping. In no particular order, can you give me some of your favorite lenders right now just off the top of your head?
1: Yeah. So Westpac, ANZ, Bank of Queensland, Bendigo Adelaide Bank, Suncorp, and then in the non-bank space, we've got Pepper Money, yep. Liberty Financial, Latrobe, even a new lender I'm dealing with called Wealth, WLTH. So these are the main players in this space that I'm dealing with regularly.
0: So in terms of like Bendigo Bank or like a Bank of Adelaide or Bank of SA, I think it's called maybe... If you are buying an asset in their particular location, their geographical location, are they more likely to be your best funder because they're in the geographical location, they understand the area, they want to invest in their own state or their own little town or regional town? Would you think that? Is that something to put together and like try that as an option?
1: Not necessarily. They look at every deal in its own merits. So just because it's in their own backyard doesn't make it mean it's a better performing asset. What they will do, though, is look at your location as a borrower. So if you're going to a big bank, you'll need to deal with a local business banker based on where you live. So if you're in Victoria, you'll need someone in Victoria. If you're in Queensland, you need someone in Queensland. So you can't deal with business bankers from different states, even if you're buying in that state. That makes sense. So you can buy interstate, but you're going to deal with a banker in your location if it's a big bank. If it's not a big bank and they don't have branches and, you know, you're dealing with myself as a broker, then you can literally buy anywhere and you can live anywhere. It doesn't matter. In Australia, that is.
0: Yeah. I've had that experience as well, where I've been talking to someone and they're like, oh, where are you located? And like, oh, I'm in, I'm in Sydney. And like, oh, you got to go talk to this guy. I'm like, why? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. does it really matter where I live? I could live anywhere. Yeah. The asset is where yeah. you are. so." So, mate, what are some resources or tools that investors can utilize to help them educate themselves further about the loan options and make well-informed decisions in future?
1: Yeah. So, look, in terms of a resource, I've mentioned in a past episode, I've created a a commercial property guide. If you go to lagosfinancial.com.au slash free guide, you'll be able to download that. And it just gives you a bit more information on what it kind of looks like buying a commercial property and the lending around that versus a residential. And then in terms of tools, look, it's there's actually not that much tools out there. I'll be honest, uh, it looks like the uh, commercial buyers agency, uh, Policy Property, has created a few tools and and I think some of them are great. I use them as well. So if you jump on their website... And uh, you have be joining Policy Property this month, so <laughs> you've just joined them. Yeah. so it's a bit of a plug for you. <laughs> but those tools are really helpful to look at your cash flow position and what it looks like if you were to borrow, you know, higher LVRs and plug around with different interest rates and what does that look like on your cash flow. But on my website as well, I've got some calculators which you know determine your your stamp duty as well as your P&I repayments. So if you plug in higher interest rates. You can sort of see what that's going to cost you, PI or interest only. So then you can kind of know what your cash flow position is based on the net rent and how much you borrow. Yeah. And then of course the stuff that I share with my clients. Look, they are custom and tailored. I base that on their circumstances. So I run a borrowing capacity and a buying power. So at the same time. So it's a bit of work to figure that out. And also take into account future lending if they need equity. So then I'll put the future lending into the serviceability on the rate that they're borrowing it at, and then I'll work out, okay, based on that and a potential rent of, say, 6 or 6.5% net rent, what does that look like in cash flow? What does that look like? Serviceability. And then what's their contribution that they need to put in? So I do that for my clients and I don't charge for that. I just send it out to them and that helps them make an informed decision.
0: Yeah, awesome, man. And just so the listeners know, Victor actually does car loans as well which he's, he's been doing one for me just this week. And I was super surprised how quick and easy it was. It was basically all done in a day and a half, literally from organizing it, putting it all through the portal, getting the approval. When this uh, podcast airs, I should have already picked this car up. So um, yeah, Victor's, uh, the way that he does things is awesome. He's also done refinancing for me as well. So yeah, big plug for Victor, yeah. top mortgage broker and mate. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you and your business?
1: So the best place to find me is my website, which is uh, lagosfinancial.com.au. And I do have a new tool that's been built into the front page. So when you land on the front page, you have different icons that ask you whether you need a, a residential loan, a commercial loan, even a car loan or a personal loan, or a business loan, there's actually some technology behind them, which you used, which is a loan matching technology. I've partnered with another company that's built this. It's very powerful. And it looks at your individual circumstances. It looks at what you're actually trying to achieve, what you're trying to borrow, what you're trying to buy. And it will then loan match that and find the lender that's going to you know, 99% chance approve you and then give you some indicative interest rates and fees. So you know what that looks like based on who will lend you the money. And then if you follow through and complete an application, you'll get a phone call very quick from uh, someone in my team who will reach out to you. If you're self-employed, like uh, Andrew Bean over here, then you can get a loan approved in the same day or next day, and you don't have to provide any financial statements, no tax returns, nothing like that. And you can literally drive that car away in a couple of days. So self-employed, you need the car for business use, good to go. That's where you can find me.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe how low their repayments were, too. I mean, like we were like holding off because obviously we're rather save money for real estate and put it into um, you know real cash flowing assets, not a de- depreciating asset like a car, which is just a really really bad investment, obviously. But I can't believe how little it costs per week to buy a really nice family car, or like a, a nice secondhand family car. I'm not, I'm not a really big car guy or a flashy guy. I'm not a car guy at all. Obviously, just a real estate guy. But yeah, if I had known it was this easy and like, quick and cost this little, I would have done it a long time ago. But I have no idea how to buy a car, put it up for finance for a car. Like It's just something I've never even thought about because I just don't care about cars. But yeah, if I had have known how easy it was, I would definitely would have jumped on it earlier. So um, yeah, <laughs> talk to Victor if you guys are looking to get a new family car anytime soon. But mate, that looks like that's a wrap. This has been financial expert Victor Lagos and Andrew Bean on the Financial Freedom Series. Cheers, everyone.
1: Thanks, everyone.